This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome into another Pipeline Podcast. Tim McMaster here along with Jim Callis. We are Jonathan Mayo List this week as Jonathan has left us for the World Baseball Classic as he's actually following Team Israel, who's off to an unbelievable start in the WBC. So Jonathan has been in Korea, and he's going to follow Team Israel also to Japan for the second round as they actually won their group and are 3-0. and Now we were hoping to get some stuff back from Jonathan, but he's been a little too busy, Jim, um, enjoying himself in Korea. So it's just me and you. Yeah, and I don't know if he's been too busy or just celebrating too much or or what, and we'll have to determine, like, you know, last week Jonathan was making some bad jokes. It kind of fell flat. So is this like a, a better, you know, we don't have Jonathan's knowledge, and we can't talk to him about the WBC. So that's a negative, but we don't have his bad jokes. So that's a positive. Like, if we were, uh, like, like, what's the, uh, is this positive war or negative war without Jonathan, uh, the, the bad jokes versus the expertise? I don't know. That is a great question and a great baseball way of putting it. We'll certainly... We'll get the uh, the details. Get Mike Petriello on that. Well, Mike Petriello should be analyzing that for us right now. Yes, uh, maybe we'll get that on the next Statcast podcast. Uh, he can break that down for us. Uh, all right. So you've been a busy guy, though, Jim. Um, cruising around Arizona, checking in on uh, Cactus League action, and talking to a lot of prospects down there. So with Jonathan away, we'll focus in on what you've been up to, and we'll talk about some of the players that you've gotten a chance to talk to that have kind of been cool along the way. Um, we've narrowed it down to eight players that you've caught up with from eight different teams. So we'll go through that, um, and, and we'll wait till next time to get the latest from Korea, from Jonathan on that that Team Israel, and, and maybe some prospects also that have been playing in the World Baseball Classic. All right, let's start in Arizona. And some of these guys you've already talked about on MLBPipeline.com a little bit. Some you haven't. But let's start with the Dodgers, and you caught up with Walker Bueller. Uh, he's number 93 in the top 100, Jim. Um, he's a guy that's coming along for the Dodgers. What stood out to you about him? Yeah, there were two things. Yeah, and it's, it's, uh, I'll preface by saying, and I, I think I said the same thing last year, it just seems like talking to the young players now, they're so much more polished than when I started. I, I remember my, my first summer as a Baseball America intern, Tim, in 1988, talking to Steve Avery and Mark Lewis, who were both top three picks in the draft. And those guys were tremendously shy and nervous, you know, getting interviewed by the, you know, the big media, this 21-year-old reporter uh, at the time. And now I think it's just because there's so much more coverage. These guys are more polished. But with Walker, you know, two things stood out. One, you know, I had heard that, you know, this is a guy who was a first-round pick. And he went into 2015 as, I think, number four on the, prospect, on the MLB Pipeline draft prospect list going into the year, ranked ahead of Dansby Swanson, you know, which seems blasphemous and ranked ahead of uh, Carson Fulmer, went eighth overall, and he wound up going 24th overall. He had elbow problems during the year. He wound up having Tommy John surgery. And the parts were when he came, came, got back on the mound last year, he'd always been kind of a, a you know good stuff, but, but the polish maybe stood out a little bit more. That he was up to 99 miles an hour 
any short stints last summer. And then so the, the two things that, that struck me when I talked to Walker were one when I was asking him about his stuff, you know, and he's got three pretty good secondary pitches, you know, in a curveball and a slider and a changeup. And I asked him what he thought was the best uh, secondary pitch he had. And he said, you know, I, I just don't have enough reps to tell you right now because my stuff is so different. You know, he, he had a, a curveball that was, you know, maybe topped out around, you know, 80 miles an hour or so at Vanderbilt, and now his curveballs in the mid-80s and the sliders in the upper 80s and the change-ups in the upper 80s. And, you know, we'll see if that stuff holds up you know, when he pitches a lot more innings. But it was interesting to me that he said, I, I really can't tell you because everything's just so different. And then the other thing I thought was interesting, and, and I kind of suspected he might answer it this way, just because I do think the Vanderbilt program, the guys in that program, Tim, are probably as close as, as anybody I've seen in any college program. And even after they leave, you know, when they won the national championship in 2014, you know, probably within 10 minutes of them winning the national championship, you know, David Price and Sonny Gray and all their big, I mean, like probably a dozen big leaguers from Vanderbilt were all going berserk on Twitter. And, you know, Sonny Gray flew out on an off day in 14 and David Price flew out on an off day in 15 to watch him. But anyway, I, I asked Walker, I, I said, you know, 2015 was kind of a strange year for you because on one hand, you know, you went in the first round and you guys went to the College World Series. Uh, in the finals, and on the other hand, you lost the finals. You know, he pitched the last game. You know, he he went lower in the draft than he thought he would go. He had Tommy John surgery, and I said, "So, I mean, how do you remember that? Is it good memories, bad memories, bittersweet?" And he said, uh, "Nothing but positive memories." That, and it, it just kind of the, the way he he put it, it was kind of epitomized kind of the selfless nature of a lot of the Vanderbilt players I've spoken to. He said, "You know, even though we didn't win like we did the year before, you go into the finals. That was a highlight for a lot of guys' careers." Um, and then he said, you know, and then with the draft, I don't know if you remember, Tim, on, on draft day, I think they beat Illinois in a super regional to go to Omaha. But Price, and, and David Price was there on an off day, and, and, and the team got word that Dancy Swanson went number one and Fulmer went eight, so they got to celebrate together. So I thought it was, you know, he, I thought it was interesting. It wasn't even the little, you know, according to Walker, the little bit bittersweet. It was nothing but positive memories about a year where they lost in the national championship finals. Uh, and he had Tommy John surgery. So I, thought, I thought that was really interesting. I remember that team, too, on that draft day when Swanson went number one, the team jumping up and down on the field with him and celebrating. And I think he had the game-winning hit in that game as well or something like that. Um, that was an unbelievable moment for Vanderbilt and just another one of their great pitchers, hopefully, coming in Walker Bueller. All right, on to Rangers camp we go, and their number six prospect is Joe Palumbo. Uh, Here's a guy, Jim, 30th round pick back in 2013, but last year he really came on. Yeah, and when I asked him, he's a guy who you know, spent two years in rookie ball and most of another year in short season ball and then really came on last year. And he's interesting. And the interesting thing for me was, like, I'll admit, like before last year, I hadn't really heard about Joe Palumbo. I mean, 30th round pick. And it wasn't, Tim, it wasn't one of these 30th round picks who signed for, you know, like Rowdy Tellez signed, I think, for $850,000. It wasn't like he, he got big money. He signed for $32,000 out of high school in the 30th round. And so the, the thing I was curious about with him is, you know, you know how that, that worked. Is, you know, usually you don't see a high school guy sign in the 30th round for, for $32,000. And what I hadn't realized um, is it was kind of cool talking to Joe uh, was when he was a senior on Long Island, he tried to transfer from a public school to a private school. And the athletic director – uh, I guess was not as well versed in the rules as he should have been, and they did not they, like. Basically, he was ineligible as a high school senior through no fault of his own, other than transferring and not being told that it would render him ineligible. And so he wound up, uh, you know, not being able to pitch in, in games, which which obviously hurts your scouting profile. But he said, you know, he, he'd always 
he, he pitched in the men's league. They got a little exposure that way. The Rangers scout stayed on him, and then the local teams, the Mets and the Yankees, were on him a little bit. But he uh, he just wanted to play pro ball. He said that was all, that was always his dream, and that he was determined, didn't care what round he got drafted in or how much money he got offered. He wanted to go play pro ball. So it was a, it was just a great great job by the Rangers area scout to be aware of the fact that hey, here's this, this interesting guy, and he. He probably weighed 160 pounds and threw 86 miles an hour in high school. He wasn't the guy throwing low to mid-90s with a nasty curve now. Um, but it was just a really good job by the Rangers area scout, A, to kind of say, hey, there, there's a lot more potential with this guy than, than what he's doing now, and B, understanding, look, you know, we, we, we can get this guy in the 30th round and get him to sign. Yeah, that's one of those great scouting stories, and, and those are the stories that really lead to a, a deep farm system more than taking the right guy in the first round every year. Uh, all right, Brewers Camp is next, and this is the highest-rated guy that we're going to focus on as far as this podcast. And what I like about what we're doing with this podcast is is a lot of these guys, Jim, aren't necessarily top 100 guys, but Corey Ray certainly is checking in at number 30 on the current top 100, number five overall pick in last June's draft. And is he going to be a guy that moves quick? Yeah, he, he, will, he will move quickly. And it, it was fun talking to Corey, uh, my, my, my fellow Chicagoan, uh, he was born and raised there. I've just lived there for the last 20 years, and uh, you know, didn't get to this into the part of the interview that ran MLBpipeline.com. But you know, we, we talked for a long time, and it was I was we were reminiscing. I, I saw him play in the uh, Under Armour All America game. I guess that would have been in 2012. We talked about that a little bit. We had a long talk. Uh, I, I went up a uh, devolving Tim. I know this will shock you into talking about the College World Series with a lot of these guys. This is my favorite event, and about how TD Ameritrade represses home runs. But it was interesting where Corey. I don't know if he's still gotten over the fact that, that Louisville got upset last year in the Super Regionals and didn't get to Omaha. Uh, he, he's still disappointed about that. But what was interesting talking to Corey, well, well, two things on Corey. One, it reminded me, I'm not saying he's going to be quite as good as Chris Bryant, because that's a pretty high bar to be MVP in your second year in the big league. But it reminded me of Chris Bryant just talking to him in terms of this is a really talented guy with a great personality. And I remember talking to Chris Bryant in the Arizona Fall League in, I guess it was 2013, when Chris was straight out of, pro, out of the draft and was MVP of the Fall League. And remember thinking, Chicago's just going to love this guy. This guy's going to own Chicago. And that was my impression of talking to Corey Ray. Is he's got such a great personality. He's just fun to talk to. He can really play. I think he's going to own Milwaukee. Um, but what's interesting is, is he, uh, I guess he's a, you call him a self-motivator because he, he kind of, uh, I guess carries a chip on his shoulder. It was interesting. I asked him about one. Asked him about the decision to go to Louisville rather than sign out of high school, um, and he wanted to sign. He had he got drafted in late rounds by the Mariners, but offered a decent amount of money, and he wanted to sign. And his dad wouldn't let him sign. <laughs> and I asked him how long he took him to get over it, and he told me basically midway through his sophomore year. Like he was he was he said he was he was he was really kind of kind of ticked off about it when his dad wouldn't let him sign, and then he said it just got worse in the early part of his freshman year when he was not playing regularly at Louisville, and he's thinking, why am I here? I could be playing every day, learning a lot, and getting paid to do it. Um, and then it was interesting, too. I was, it's like a lot of these guys, you talk to them about the draft, and they'll say, well, you know, I try to pay attention to it. I'm focusing on the field. And Corey knew what was going on in his draft year. He came into the year ranked as a top college position player. And interestingly, Corey was, Corey was ticked off about the draft because he said he felt like he was the best player in the draft, and he wanted other people to realize he was the best player in the draft. So being ranked, I think, like fifth on the pipeline, rankings and where he you know kind of ranked similarly in other lists instead of looking at that as a compliment he was ticked off he wasn't number one 
And then kind of, uh, I don't want to make Corey sound like he's angry about everything, but I think he just uses his stuff to motivate him. I asked him about, you know, he's got great all-around tools and, you know, what he thought his best tool was. And, and did he ever hear, you know, like I guess the one question scouts kind of have is, is whether he can play center field because Louisville had an absolute speedster that they played in center field to Corey play in the corners of Louisville. And and then and, and, and keeping in the theme of what I was just talking about, <laughs> Corey does not like it when he reads that scouts say that they don't know if he can play center field. Because I think the way he put it was, Nobody ever raised any questions about me playing center field when I was in high school. And he's like, what, well, do I go to college and get worse? Um, and he just says, you know, he's still learning because he hasn't played there as much. But he thinks he's going to be a pretty good center fielder. He, he was a lot of fun to talk to. And it, like I said, it just kind of made me think of Chris Bryant. And, and when I, I remember interviewing Chris Bryant in the Arizona Fall League and thinking, this guy's going to own Chicago. And I really think Corey Ray not only is going to be a very good player, but I just think he's going to kind of be the heart and soul of those Milwaukee teams. And fans are just going to love him. Sounds like a guy that has no trouble finding motivation uh, outside the game and, and bringing it in and helping it to uh, to fuel him, that's for sure. All right, on to the D-backs now. And John Duplantier, uh, he's their number eight prospect. Uh, and and it's a system that's not super deep right now. What's the upside on John Duplantier? I, I think it's really high. I mean, he's a guy who you know, has had injury problems. He missed all but would have been a sophomore season of rice with a shoulder impingement. But, I mean, he's 91-96. He gets good extension with some run and sink. He's got a power curveball. He's got a changeup with sink. I think it's going to come down to, to health for him. I mean, he had a minor elbow issue that he only pitched an inning in his pro debut last year, and then he sprained a hamstring in this construction league, which he, he just said, you know, he, he thinks his arm was tired because he hadn't pitched at all in 15 and and pitched 111 innings at Rice in 16. And, you know, he, I mean, he said he felt great now. But what's interesting is I wasn't aware of some of his background that, um, you, know, he was, you know, he's a guy, I mean, you know, big, physical, athletic guy with good stuff. And, and Rice was the only baseball school that recruited him. And I didn't realize he had played a lot of football in high school, that he was one of these guys who, who wasn't on the showcase circuit, wasn't in Jupiter for the World War Bat World Championships. They didn't get some exposure that way. They, you know, he told me, but he had uh, you know, two offers. He had an offer to, to pitch at Rice, I mean, and then he had an offer to play quarterback at Yale. And those were his two offers. And he he kept getting hurt. Like he broke, a, he tore a meniscus as a high school as a high school senior playing quarterback, and he'd broken a collarbone and and broken a, a wrist. So he just kind of figured, hey, you know, I, I need to stop getting breaking things and getting hit by 300 pound linemen. But I, I was not aware of the football background. Uh, we would do Plantier, and uh, they, they was kind of he, he was very interesting to talk to as well. I mean, uh, it didn't surprise me. Rice, I mean, obviously a very good school, and I I think just about every player I've ever talked to coming out of Rice, uh, it, 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 it was it, it's always been good talking to those guys. They always seem very intelligent, mature, and and you know, it, 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 talking to Duplantier over at Salt River Fields, like it's always nice when you ask a guy a question. He sits there and you, you see him thinking about it for a couple of seconds before he answers. You know, he just gave very thoughtful answers. It was fun talking to him. All right. Before we move on to the next segment of Jim's journey through Arizona, we wanted to take a minute to talk to you about another podcast here on MLB.com, and that is the Cut Forecast. The Cut Forecast is the podcast from the staff of MLB.com's Cut Four section, which focuses on the lighter side of baseball. If you like this podcast, you'll probably like that one as well. It'll make you laugh. In the latest edition, Dakota, Gemma, and Ian will break down David Ross's upcoming run on Dancing with the Stars and much more. If that sounds like something you'd be into, search Cut Forecast. That's C-U-T, the number four, and C-A-S-T in iTunes or wherever else you find your podcast, and then click subscribe. All right, on to the rest of Jim's journey through Arizona. Up next is the Angels, Jim, and Matt Theis, first-round pick last June out of the University of Virginia, 
He was a catcher at the University of Virginia, but seems like that is no longer his long-term position. The Angels are already set on him being a first baseman. Yeah, they are. They, 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 they moved him first base immediately in pro ball. And that's one thing I asked him about was, was that a surprise? Was he, you know, disappointed? I mean, he was, he was known as an offensive catcher. I mean, I think he and Nick Senzel were the, were the two best pure hitters college-wise in last year's draft. And he said, um, I mean, I think he would have, you know, if he'd stayed a catcher, he would have worked at it. I mean, people praise him for his work ethic, but he wasn't looking. It wasn't like he didn't like catching, didn't want to do it. But he said um, it wasn't a surprise because his coach, uh, Brian O'Connor of Virginia kind of sat him down uh, before the draft and said, "Hey, just you know, don't you know, be aware that this could happen. You know, your your bat is what people really like, and don't be surprised if somebody wants you to focus on the hitting and not the catching. And you know, it's kind of a, an interesting dilemma when you have these offensive-minded catchers, Tim, because if you keep them a catcher, a you're, you're limiting how many games they're going to play. You're probably going to play 100, 110 games behind the plate." And you're also just going to be beat up physically and also the mental demands of catching. So you're not going to get nearly the full offensive potential out of a guy when he catches, which is why, you know, what Mike Piazza did is, is crazy. Um, and then the, the, the flip side is if you, if you take him away from catching and you put in Tyson's case first, you know, put him at first base, you know, he'd probably play 140, 150 games a year, and you're going to maximize his offense, which is what attracted to him in the first place. And I think we've talked about this with, with Kyle Schwarber in the past that, I, yeah, I was always a, a huge proponent, and you know, I think the Cubs internally have been split. I, I never liked the idea of Schwarber catching. I mean, I appreciate the fact that he really wanted to catch. He didn't like people saying he couldn't catch. I think he would have worked hard at it, but I think he would have worked hard and become, at best, an adequate big league catcher, and you're going to get a lot less of him offensively. And I think, in a weird sort of way, him getting hurt last year it was a positive in the long term for the Cubs because, one, it opened up at-bats you know, after guys kind of moved around for Javi Baez, and I don't think Javi Baez would have gotten and really got his career on track. And two, I think it, you know, with Wilson Contreras, you know, continuing to emerge, I think it kind of ended talk of Shorver being anything more than, than say like a third catcher, you know, very occasional catcher, but like getting back to face, um, you know, he was willing to catch, but he, he wasn't offended. And, and it's the one thing that I talked to him, you know, he's got such a good approach at the plate, you know, it, it, it's, it's hit over power, uh, or maybe I should say he, he lets the power come naturally. You know, he controls the strike zone, and he just says it's kind of the way he's always hit. You know, he, he just doesn't feel he's the type of guy who's just going to hit the ball out of the park all the time and doesn't try to get caught up in that. So I, I was impressed. Just he, he just is a guy who is very faithful to his approach, and it's worked very well for him, and he's not going to change that at all. On to the Oakland A's, Jim, and Logan Shore is a guy that it was interesting in the draft. He was a second-round pick in 2016. But he was also the Friday night starter for that Florida team that was loaded with all those pitchers, which is fascinating that he here's a guy that that was in theory their best pitcher, but goes so much later than some of the other guys. Um, did did that come up in your conversation? Yeah, we talked about it. Um, it, it, it was interesting. I of course had to talk about the College World Series with him, as I did with Vice and uh, Sam Walker Bueller and Corey Ray and all these college guys who played the College World Series. But uh, I did talk to Logan. Logan was great to talk to. Really enjoyed that interview. You know, you, you know, they had two first-round picks on that team last year on the pitching staff alone in terms of uh, A.J. Puck and Dane Dunning. They're going to have probably three more pitchers off that staff going the first round this year next, and Alex Fajardo and Brady Singer and Jackson Kohler. They uh, are going to have a number of position players possibly going the first round too. But uh, I was kind of getting his, his scouting report on who he thought was the best pitcher on the team. And he liked Brady Singer, who I don't know if you remember, uh, when we talked about him last summer for a video, Tim, that 
he was my top prospect in the Cape Cod League last year, even though he won't be draft eligible until 2018. But, um, you know, it was interesting, you know, talking to Logan, just kind of about being on that staff. And, you know, they, you, you talk about being with those guys. You know, he, he's with A.J. Puck still because A.J. Puck went sixth overall to the A's. Then they took Logan in the second round. And, I mean, I didn't necessarily expect him to say, man, I hate A.J. I'm tired of that guy. Um, but I did ask him, like, you know, you know, what'd you feel? You know, did you kind of been with this guy for three years and now continues? And he was genuinely excited. He called the draft one of his best days of his life. He's looking forward to continue to pitch with AJ. Um, it was just a, a good conversation. Uh, I think all these guys with the College World Series team, I, I have to get into a detailed discussion about TD Ameritrade and how I, I don't love the park. It's a comfortable place to watch a game, but it kills home runs. It kind of changes the game. And, and Logan Shore was on the same page with me. So we had a long discussion about that, too. I'm surprised the pitcher was not fully in favor of the new home of the College World Series, like you said. Well, you know, you know what it is, is that the Gators have um, traditionally, you know, they've been one of the best teams in the country uh, the last few years. And but but the, the, I think the park really hurts them. They haven't won a national championship. They usually have these deep offenses that can hit the long ball, and you get to Omaha and you can't hit the long ball. So, so Logan, uh, Logan was, uh, well, Logan was 100% on board with what I was saying. Very good, very good. All right, moving on to the Cleveland Indians now, and and a fascinating guy in Brady Aiken that, of course, was the number one overall pick back in 2014, uh, didn't sign, went back uh, to Florida, to IMG Academy, uh, ended up being the 17th overall pick to the Indians in 2015, and then, of course, with the Tommy John surgery. He finally came back and, and pitched at some point last season, uh, where does he stand now, Jim? This is a former number one overall pick who now has a lot of question marks. Yeah, he does. And, and you know, it's, I, I didn't get to see him. Pay, but that was the, the one bad thing about being, you know, the World Baseball uh, Classic kind of kind of alters the schedule for not just teams, but for MLB Network and for us and how we cover spring training. We were out there a little earlier than usual. So I didn't actually get to see minor leaguers in action unless they were in, in big league contests. But, you know, they at one, I mean, interesting talking to Brady is I'd heard, you know, last year his stuff wasn't as sharp when he came back uh, during the season and that he was looking uh, like I guess he'd put on some weight and not all of it good weight. And then there were just a lot of question marks, like he said. He looked, I mean, from what you can tell talking to a guy, uh, you know, he, he looked to me like he was in pretty good shape. Like he, he did not look like he had extra weight on him. So I don't know if it's just a case of, of you know, just as he got further in the rehab process, uh, you know, he, he got trimmed up even a little bit more. But um, no, he, he's excited. Uh, well, one thing he's excited about is he actually got a real offseason. Instead of, you know, if you think about it, you know, number one overall pick in 2014, you have the, the physical, he fails with the Astros and, and blows up the deal. He was going to sign with them. So he spends that offseason kind of figuring out where he's going to go to college and getting ready for the, for the college year. And he goes to the IMG postgraduate program and he blows out his elbow literally in his first, first game. Uh, and so then, like, the next offseason he has is really just continuing his rehab. So, He's excited not only about you know basically going to be able to have a full year this year, but also you know having to be able, having a full year of the offseason to prepare, um, you know which you don't get to do when you're in the rehab process. So uh, we'd love to see him on the mound, but he seems like he's pretty confident and you know good place. Uh, you know he he's talked about how he he feels the elbow feels good. You know kind of in the back of his mind last year times when he throw the changeup the way you kind of turn the ball over. Like, you know, what that was going to do to his elbow. But he, I think he, he has complete confidence in it now and, and feels like it's going to work out. All right, one last stop for you, Jim, and it's with the world champs, the Chicago Cubs. And you saw Dylan Cease. He's number 77 in the top 100 right now, sixth-round pick back in 2014. Um, and, and he's quickly 
risen up the prospect ranks. What stood out to you the most about Dylan Cease? Well, one, just again, I mean, this is a high school kid who signed uh, the 2014 draft, another Tommy John guy. Um, but, but one, I thought he was incredibly uh, uh, yeah, mature, makes me sound like his grandfather or something. He, he just was very polished speaking to him. Like, he was very comfortable talking. Um, he's another guy who's excited. He hit Tommy John in 2014 after he got drafted. And while he's pitched the last couple of years, it's been, you know, strict pitch limits, strict innings limits. He's looking forward to uh, – he's really looking forward to, to having the, the lead shot. Now, they're not going to throw him 180 innings this year, but he should be able to pitch 120, 125 innings in full season ball. And, you know, they, we talked to, you know, just about how when he knew his stuff was back. You know, for the first time out, I think he hit 99 miles an hour. And, you know, he feels like his curveball is a lot more consistent than it was in high school. Um and he, he's just he's just really happy to kind of, you know, really three years after he got drafted, finally, you know, being able to, to, to get turned loose and, and show what he can do. I mean, he understands why the Cubs handled him carefully. Um, and, you know, it was also cool. We were talking about how uh, I saw him in the Under Armour game also, I guess, in 2013. And he was talking about how when he, when he was walking out of Wrigley Field after that game, with his dad, he was talking about how cool it might be to, to pitch in, in Wrigley Field again one day, and, and then he gets drafted by the Cubs. And, you know, Brady Aiken was another guy I saw in the Under Armour game, too. So I think at least three of these guys I saw playing the Under Armour game when they were amateur. That's pretty cool stuff. All right, well, people can uh, look forward to reading more about these guys in the next couple weeks, I guess, on MLBPipeline.com. And you are not on the road right now, but you do head to Florida, or do you not get a Florida trip this year? No, I do. Like you know, I, this is the weird thing. I, I actually had been at MLB.com and Pipeline.com for four springs, and I have yet to go to Florida just with the way the schedule's worked out. Um, and I'm not going to necessarily complain because everybody knows Arizona is a lot cushier gig than Florida because you can stay in one hotel and drive everywhere from one location. But I am, I think, in the middle of the week. I, I know. I, I think it's Braves, Tigers, Twins, Red Sox. I do a, a four-day Florida jaunt. All right, I did my four-day trip a couple weeks ago. So enjoy the uh, the mileage down in Florida, and we will get Jonathan back on the podcast next week, and he can share some of his stories from Japan and Korea and all the good baseball over there. Thanks a lot, Jim. As always, this has been the Pipeline Podcast. For Jim Callis, I'm Tim McMaster. Tune in again next time. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey.